before we get into the scriptures, please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in which we could study your word. We ask that you give us wisdom. We know that the Bible says that if we ask for wisdom, you will give it to us. And we do that now. We thank you for the scriptures, for the Bible that enlightens us and encourages us, that teaches us the way to live. And Father, we ask your blessings upon the scripture we study today. May it improve our homes and help us, Father, as we encourage others around us and other families that we, we are there to, to help, to encourage, and that we do so through your word. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love upon us. We ask that you help us to forgive others as you've forgiven us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this morning we'll be looking in the book of Ephesians, and mostly starting in Ephesians chapter 5. Probably shouldn't be that break there, I think, from Ephesians 5, 21 down to uh, chapter 6 and verse 4. There's a little bit of a break there, but I would have kept the whole family part together. Um, but again, the men put those divisions there in, in our text. We're looking at how to be faithful wives, husbands, and children. And Ephesians 5 very much does that. Now, a lot of things that go on today, especially in controversy in regards to the Bible, is being in subject to someone else. But we're all in subject to, to something. Um, whether it's our work or into employee, we're all subject to the government and to the authority. And hopefully, I know there are some that seem like they get away with it, but those that work in our government are subject to the authority of the government. And those in the government are subject to God and to the Creator. The Bible even says that Christ's head there in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 is God the Father. And so even Christ subjected himself to his heavenly Father. We're all subject to someone. And I think that's very important to keep in mind as we look at the scripture right here from Ephesians chapter, I should say Ephesians chapter 4 right here, 21 to 24. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I include right there verse 21. The reason is, is because the verb here, submitting, is not there in verse 22. It's implied. It's carried over. And the implication is there is that a church that's getting along, that's encouraging one another, that's singing to, with, with one another, who are thanking God together, are also submitting to one another. They're subjecting to one another. They're bearing one, with one another through hardships. They're not arguing. Uh, they're trying to avoid anything like that. They're trying to avoid contentions and be together, subjecting to one another. It is based on that that then Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And as far as the Greek text goes, that is exactly what is said there. The only thing I might alter here and change slightly is the translation of the word submit. I think subject. Now, the Greek word, hupatasso, means to it's an idea of making yourself humble in order and respecting the authority above you. I like the word subject better there than submit. A lot of people here today hear the, hear the word submit and they're like, no, I'm not submitting. I'm not submitting to anybody. And that's usually the reaction to that word. But when we recognize that we are to subject to our Heavenly Father, we subject ourselves to Christ. Here Paul says that the wife is to subject herself to the husband. And yet... We see a lot of details here in regards to the husband. It doesn't directly go to the wife and say, now you've got to do this, 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 and this. He go, Paul goes to the husband. 
And he says this, this is how a husband is. He's the head of the wife. And we begin to see some things about him, that he's a savior. He's a rescuer. He is the one who defends the home. And I think it's very important as we read this text, it stands out to me that most of the instruction is directed toward men. Men to be godly husbands, to be the kind of husbands that women can revere and respect. Already this morning, our reading of Scripture came from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. But in verse 33, the conclusion is this. He says that the husband is to love his wife as himself. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds familiar? That sounds what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. To love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your closest neighbor? For the man, for the husband, it is his wife. She is the one closest to him. He must love her. And then it says, and I, I think, I haven't talked to my Greek scholarly friends, but one thing that stands out in the text that I couldn't find translated in another translation, there's a word in there called hina. That's the word. And it means that the husbands are to love their wives so that, in other words, to produce a result. And the result is so that she respect her husband. And so if a husband wants that setting in his home, he needs to love his wife in the way that the Bible tells him to so that it, his, wife, his wife is able to respect him. And the word for respect, it's the word phobia. It's not in the sense of fear like we would use it today. It means more of a sense of reverence, that she reverences her husband. And it's an amazing thing to see Christian couples and to see a wife who so reveres and loves her husband, loves his spiritual example, his Christian example. And so it makes it so easy for her to respect him, to revere him, to follow his leadership. And as we think about that this morning, I don't want to undermine that in any way. Another thing that stands out to me here is that Paul, I'm going to back up a minute, Paul specifically here addresses wives. I think I'm getting ahead of myself on my notes. Rachel will tell me later. And she, she doesn't like it when I get too far ahead. But he addresses wives. In the ancient, in the Greco-Roman world, the philosophers would write to men, and they'd say, men, this is how you can make your wives obey you and submit. Does that sound like what Paul's doing here? It seems like Paul is actually countering this. He's not saying, men, this is how you can make your wives submit, which would have been the teaching even in the Greco-Roman world. And a lot of times the men would be in their 30s about the time back then when they would marry. Um, they'd be in late 20s, and they would often be marrying uh, women who are as young as 15, 16 at that time. So there was this kind of a leadership role, or at least as far as age that went on. But in contrast to that, Paul addresses wives. He addresses the women. He doesn't say, here men, this is what you can do. He addresses and he puts the responsibility on the women and he says, subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let's think about that some more. Why would he do that? Why do we have this instruction from God? So God, again, he did not command men on how to make their wives submit. But God commands women to subject in obedience to God to their husband, to their husbands. Um, I cannot under, overstate that. And then we see this again. Today, many people, they hear hate. When they read some of these commands and they read the instructions from God through the apostles and prophets about this is how the home is supposed to be, a lot of people are like, oh, I, I'll take all of it, but I'm not going to do that part. I'm not going to have this part. 
And everything that Paul notes here is something where I think we find rebellion in. Paul wouldn't have addressed women, you need to, why, Christian women, you need to subject yourselves to your husbands unless that actually does take place where it, where it wasn't really a struggle. And he wouldn't tell husbands, you need to love your wives unless a lot of men struggle and who even claiming to be Christians don't really love their wives and he tells them how. So it is a problem. And then as we get into chapter 6, Paul says, children. He gives instruction to children. You have a responsibility, and I hope my children listen to this, to obey their parents. Obey your parents. That's a command from God to children to obey their parents. And so you got these different instructions. That wouldn't be an issue if there's you know, a problem sometimes with children obeying. So every one of these seems to hit that kind of soft spot. And, and if you don't find any conviction in reading these passages, maybe you're doing everything right already. I don't know. Maybe you're that close with God and with Christ. That, that would be great. But I think for most of us, it causes us to reflect and say, yes, I need to be listening, following God more on this. You know, unlike the Greco-Roman world, as has been mentioned here, the apostle addresses women directly and gives them God's commands. And I'm, when I'm ever read mentioned the ancient world, I'm getting it from academic sources. I'm going and reading a commentary, the biblical background commentary from the InterVarsity Press. That's what that little thing means up there, IVP uh, BBC. So that's the InterVarsity publication uh, for the biblical background. But this is what I want us to think about. We have commands to the wife, to the husband, to the children. And I want you to think how important God's commands are. When God gives you a command, what does that mean? Some people think when somebody gives you a command, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go along with that. Why should I have to submit to that? But when God gives you the command, we know that he's not doing it out of just arbitrary whim, that God is trying to oppress us or that he's trying to be a, a dictator. This is what we can see about God's commands. God's saying he loves us. He's saying He values us. He's saying we are capable. He's saying uh, that we are responsible, that we are able to keep these commands. He's saying, I love you and I want you to live in a right way. When we get commands from God, we should be thanking God. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for the instruction in the home that guides us because God cares about our homes. He cares about marriages, about the husband and the wife, and about their children and how they live together. As I mentioned before, the word translated submit, means more of a humbly subjecting yourself to the responsible leader, to the leader who is the head of the wife. Often we talk about husbands being the head of the house. You've heard that said before. That's not really a phrase in the Bible as far as the husband being the head of the house. It says he is the head of the wife. And then Titus chapter 2 and verse 5 actually says that the woman rules the house. That's what it literally says. Some translations translate it as worker of the house, but it literally says in Greek, if you are able to look that up, you can go to uh, blueletterbible.com and it will tell you this. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 5, the wife rules the house, but the, the husband, he is the leader of the wife. He is the head of the wife. So a lot of times the question is, we read these commands here and say, okay, wives do this, husbands do this, children do this. And the first question is, why? Why should I do it? Who is this telling me to do this? Well, God's telling you to it through his apostles, through the scriptures. And the other question is, how? How can I do that? 
You know, wives are usually like, don't you know who my husband is, God? How can I submit to him and subject myself to this man? Well, first thing I'd point out to you is you married him. So the next thing I would encourage you to do is the, the Bible addresses that. It gives you instructions on how to deal with a difficult husband. You can go over and read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and, and see what the Bible tells you how to address that situation. Husbands, a husband might say, well, how can I love this wife? The Bible tells you how. And he puts the responsibility and capability on you, men, to love your wives. And it's very important that you do that. God loves you, and you give that love to your wife. And then the Bible says to children, obey your parents. Because they can. God cares for them and wants them to. And he does tell us how. And then he does further instruction to fathers on how to instruct their children. All right, husbands, it says, is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. What does that mean? God gives us responsibility, gives us purpose and meaning. When I hear that command from God to be the, the head, I hear it as a command to lovingly be a leader and a servant. Because every picture of, of leadership in the Bible where Jesus gives instruction to his disciples. And he says, I want you to lead, but I don't want you to lead like the Gentile leaders lead. I want you to lead in service. You serve. That is biblical Christian leadership. You do it out of compassion and you do it with love. And I think this gives a lot of meaning to husbands. There are a lot of men today. Men have like five times uh, the rate of suicide than women. Why is that? Because men, once they lose their job and they feel degraded and they feel low, what do they become? They feel useless. And we should, as men, look at these commands from God and see God gives me purpose. He gives me meaning. He gives me responsibility. He tells me that I'm capable. He's given me a mission as a man. And it doesn't matter how successful I am in the, in the business world or anywhere else. God already gives me that value and responsibility. And He says I can do it. And I believe Him. You know, this, again, doesn't imply, this command and instruction doesn't imply that the husband is a divine dictator to his wife. It does say that he's a savior, he's a rescuer, he's a leader, he's one who provides and nourishes in, in the home. And again, as I pointed about, Titus 2.5 says that the woman is the ruler of the house. Literally what it means in Greek. And I would encourage this. I, I've heard this a lot. I would encourage wives not to complain about their husbands. Or that they lack some of these qualities and say, oh, he's not Christian enough. He's not spiritual enough. I've heard women do that. And then I've heard them throw around the word divorce. And those to me are red flags. Don't do that. Be an encouragement to him. Follow the example of Sarah that's mentioned here in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 4. Peter says this is how you can influence your husband. Men have it within them to look to their mothers and to their examples in their home and to other women. I don't think women know how influential they are in the lives of men. We look at the women around us. We look at how they live and the things that they do and the sacrifices they make, how they care for their children. And it affects us. And it certainly does with our wives. And Peter would say, wives, live in this way and you will influence the conduct of your husband even if he doesn't believe, even if he's an unbeliever. And so the scriptures do tell us how. Before we get more into detail on the husbands, let's read the text here. If you have your Bible, I'm not going to put this one on the screen. This will be our exposition. Open up with me to Ephesians chapter 5. 
I'm going to read right here what Paul, what God says through Paul to husbands and how Christian husbands are to live. Now, again, the instruction here is to the husband. This is not for the wife to, kind of, to, to be holding it over his head and, and vice versa. Ephesians chapter 5, and begin reading in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Greek word akapeo. Love her unconditionally. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, follow Jesus' example and be willing to lay down your life. Most men will do that. They'll say, I'll lay down my life for my wife. And I hope that wives recognize and take that as a very romantic thing. So they have that within them, and yet further he says, if you love your wife, you're going to lay down your life for her. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her. This is talking about Christ toward the church. He wants the church to be holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Understand that being baptism, the cleansing. Um, before marriage, especially Jewish marriage, women would have a mikvah washing before they married. And so there's a little bit of symbolism there, parallelism. Verse 27, he says, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. That's what Christ has done for the church. He makes us holy, not because we're perfect, but because he is. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. The implication here is that a good husband is not going to mistreat his wife. He's going to care for her. He's going to take care of her. He's not going to hurt her physically. You have a condemnation of any kind of violence toward um, toward the wife here. He says, he who loves his wife loves himself. You love yourself. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. There's a lot to draw from that. On another occasion, I'll emphasize more of the church, uh, more of Christ to the church, but on this time, we're going to look specifically on the role of husbands to their wives. So number one, God commands husbands to love and give themselves for their wives. That's what we've seen here in the text, some observations. You might see other things. They must follow Christ's example to lead their wives in holiness, to be blameless. They're to be spiritual Christian examples. Number three, husbands must love their wives as their own bodies and care for them. They must feed. That's the word for nourish there and care in the sense of cherishing their wives. I remember reading one of the um, Greek lexicons or dictionaries about the word here, and one of them had down in the list, it was a little bit further down, to pamper their wife. Care for them. And these, again, these commands give great responsibility and value and purpose in the home. We don't undervalue these things. We see the importance of them. We see the importance of marriage and who we marry. And that we as men, whoever we marry, we must be that example. And we want a wife who's going to follow our leadership in following Jesus. So these commands all come from God's creation. They're all based upon the next verse here. In Ephesians 5, verse 31, if you still have your Bible open, this is the next verse. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The, the Hebrew and Greek for hold fast there means that you are devoted. That's literally the meaning. You're devoted to your wife. You're committed to her. And he says, and the two shall become one flesh. The emphasis there is because they're one flesh, and you're not going to mistreat your flesh. You're not going to mistreat your wife. You're not going to mistreat your body. But you're going to care and nourish for her, and you're going to provide for her. That's the teaching 
It's very clear here in the text of how a husband is to love his wife. And as we move on, look here in Ephesians chapter 5.33. The last verse there. It says, however, each one of you, talking to the, the men, the husbands, must love his wife as himself. This is my translation. So that the wife may revere her husband. Each one of you must love his wife as himself, as you love yourself. And that is to, to love your closest neighbor, the wife may revere her husband. So the instruction, the responsibility, the capability, the meaning and purpose is all is put on a lot of it on the husband. Yes, the wife is commanded by God first to subject herself. And then the husband is told, here's your responsibility. This is what you can do. This is what God wants you to do. And I find encouragement in it. And if we would, we would just take these principles and put them in our home, it makes all the difference. I, I know sometimes there are struggles or things that you can't overcome. You can't, e even the, the best husband sometimes can't change his wife. And the best wife, Christian wife, can't always change her husband. There will be rebellion. The Bible talks about that. It speaks about divorce and separation and things that we certainly don't want a part of. But those things do happen. But we can follow these instructions and make the best of what God has given us and do what he wants us to do. And if for anything, for the sake of our children, look right here in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at four more verses before we conclude this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Here's three of them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Emmett, you hear this? <laughs> Haley? All right. I just want my children to make sure that I emphasize right now. Wyatt, Wyatt, you can hear me, right? Okay. I want you to hear God. God is saying to you, obey your parents in the Lord. And he's not saying obey your parents and you don't have to obey mom. Or you can obey mom, but don't really listen to dad. It says obey your parents. Obey both of them for this is right. It is morally right that children obey their parents. In the scripture... As he quotes the scripture, says, honor your father and your mother. That sounds familiar. Is that one of the Ten Commandments? The fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Respect them. Revere them. Uh, the, again, I'm using a lot of Greek this morning, but the, honor, the word honor here means to value them and to even pay them in their old age. Take care of them. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the, com what's the promise? He says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And that's true. We see a lot of children as they get older taking care of their parents, honoring their parents. Those are usually the ones who are living longer as well. And their parents are able to live longer. And I think that's a great thing, a good instruction that we need to, to hear, that you may live long in the land. If my children don't listen to me when they cross the street or not to go out or go around certain dogs or whatever, uh, or cert talk to certain people, they're going to get in trouble. They're not going to live a very long life. So I want them to obey me. And then I have a responsibility that we're going to see in a minute. The scripture turns on the father, what fathers are to do. We're going to see that in a moment. But God commands children to obey both parents, mom and dad. Next, we're going to see this. The father must take an active role in the home. Why? Because sometimes many fathers don't do this. They need to train their children, set the example, take them with you when you're working, when you're doing things, when you're serving others, when you're helping your neighbor, bring your children, set the example. Let them see you reading your Bible. Let them see you, hear, hear you pray. 
Fathers need to be doing that. The word for training here is paideia, and it means like a, it's talking about a little child. Paidos is a child, and then, the act, and it's, then it's turned into a, a verb, which means you train your children. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you remember there it says, Every scripture is God's breath and profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word for instruction there means training up children in righteousness. The scripture is for that. In fact, you read 2 Timothy 3, 15, and you see that's what happened with Timothy. He was trained in the Bible, trained in the scriptures. And so, fathers, this is our responsibility to train our children. It is also to do this. Some translations say admonish, some say instruction. I think the word is very adamantly to warn their children. We do that. A good father is going to warn his children. You don't run across that street over there without looking. And you don't go talk to that person. And we might warn them. Don't you believe everything your teachers tell you at school? And we might warn them and, and say, you, you don't go off and date such a person as this. Don't be alone with the opposite sex. We warn them about that. We give them warning instructions about things that we learned about in life. Don't go off and get a credit card and put a whatever you want on it. We, we tell them. We try to help them to manage their, their budget. There are a lot of things that we, we do to help our children. But a father, he's going to take an active role. But not only does he train and he warns them, what am I missing here? I left something out of the statement right here. You do it in the Lord. You're training them how to be Christians. You're warning them about how the Christian life and how to follow the Lord. Listen right here. This is our last passage. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, at least from Ephesians. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't pass on your prejudice or bigotry to your children. Don't uh, release any kind of anger or wrath on them that they're going to carry that on to their children or pass it on to others or they're going to take it throughout life with them. Do not provoke your children to anger, to wrath. Don't stir them up. Don't pick on them. Don't annoy them. You train them. You discipline them. And you do it all in the Lord. And he says this, but bring them up in the discipline. There it is, the training. And in the instruction, the warning of the Lord. Deuteronomy tells us this, that when the law was given to the Israelites, all the men were instructed. He said, I want you to do this with my laws, with the commands. You shall teach them God's commands diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. For today, fathers, this means when you're driving down the road, when your kid's in the car, talk to them about your faith and what you believe in about the Scriptures. Talk to them about God. Talk to them about God's commands and His instructions. You go fishing, do that. You, you, you teach it, you're coaching a team, you're involved in anything with any of your children, you make it a part of, of fellowship and devotion to God. Instruct them. You know, these things that we, we've seen today can very much help our homes and our families if we listen to them and apply them and use them in our life. That's what we've read. We're going to discuss more next Sunday evening. But right here in Ephesians, you know, I see the things that are going on in homes. I see the absent fathers. I see the wives that aren't devoted and things that go on. And yet God has blessed us as Christians with these instructions because he cares about us. And he says this is how our homes could be better if we would do these things. Amen, it is true. This morning I hope that you will take these things to heart. If you need to repent and change your life, do that. Be devoted, follow Christ. I encourage you, as we're talking about children obeying their parents, have you obeyed your Heavenly Father? 
Have you been saved from God's judgment? Are you following Christ? The Bible teaches us for us to be saved. We've got to believe and confess that Jesus rose from the dead and he's the Lord. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. The Bible says that we've got to unite with Christ in baptism, having forgiven, died to our own, I mean, having repented, died to our own selves, will be buried in the baptism of water, and it's from there that we rise up to the newness of life. That's how we're saved. There's a point in which baptism, that our sins are washed away. Acts 2, 38. Acts 22 and verse 16. This morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you need to repent publicly, you need prayers and encouragement, whether you come forward or not, if you've got a struggle in your life, I encourage you, find another Christian that you can confess to, that you can pray with, that you can read with. And Wednesday night has provided that for us. But there should be no one in here this morning who's going away, you know, I've got these problems, I don't know what the answers are. We've got other Christians we can seek out and seek counsel from that are around us. Thank God for that. Give you the invitation right now. If you need prayers, you need to be baptized into Christ, come right now while we stand or while we sing.